Welcome back to the Phonics Scribe Podcast. I'm your host, Zach McCaw, and I've been really excited to put this out. This was such a good interview. So kick back and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Phonics Scribe Podcast. We're sitting with Jenny Haberly today. She's a speech therapist. Speech language pathologist. Okay, thank you. I'm not <laughs> going to remember that. I'm sorry. <laughs> SLP for short. SLP. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting with Molly, who is my wife and producer. That's me. And we're going to talk about the voice and all, everything that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Jenny is a wealth of knowledge for all of those things. She sure is. So like Zach said, um, I am the producer and occasional co-host, I guess. We're just figuring this thing out. Um, we do what we want. We do what we want. <laughs> That's how podcasts work. Um, so the reason that I wanted Jenny on this podcast um, was because uh, she... I'm doing a bad job telling this story. <laughs> okay. So me and Jenny became friends. And then, you know, as the course of life goes, we became Instagram friends. And Insta. I did not know she was a speech language pathologist when we met because we met through church. And then as I was like going and seeing her Instagram stories, I started learning a lot about her work. Um, And it was kind of like I I told Jenny it's kind of like when you go into a college course and you don't care about it because it's just like a general credit or whatever. And then you have a very passionate professor and all of a sudden you care about this thing that you did not (laughs) care about before. And that's how I felt about speech language speech language pathology yeah you know um, right on yeah so um i thought it was really interesting and so i thought jenny could come on and just like teach us some things about um what she does and so to kind of kick us off how about you tell us like kind of your path on how you got to this point of being a speech language pathologist for sure um well when i was kind of trying to figure out what i wanted to be when i grew up Mm -hmm. i had always really loved um loved science. Like I was kind of brought up on the Discovery Channel and the History Channel and um, and all of that. And so I wanted to be an astronomer. Like I loved space, all of that. Um, and then I found out how much math was involved and that astronomy <laughs> was really just physics. And um, I liked it, but I was like, I'm not great at this. So mm-hmm. nah. Um, so, <laughs> I, so I um, was just like, oh, I don't know. And then I went to a... Um, I used leadership conference and I saw somebody doing sign language and was just like enamored with the fact that like this is a different language, but also it's the same. And it, it was just really cool. And so like communication, like seeing that act of communication be like physically represented was really cool. And so I was like, okay, I want to be a sign language interpreter. And then found out that there's not a lot of money in that. Um, not a lot of call for that usually. And so I was just like, I don't know what I want to do. And my mom was like, what about speech language pathology? And I was like, what is that? Nobody knows what that is unless they've been <laughs> through speech therapy as a kid. Um, and so I was just like whatever I'll make it my major <laughs> and so I made it my major not really knowing what it entailed and thinking that I wanted to work with kids and like went to college for that and then realized that there was like this giant scope of practice for speech pathology where you can work we work from from birth to death uh, we work with the entire range of patients um, and the school that I went to like Ball State University in Indiana we their program really focused more on like childhood development of speech and language. And they were very much like um, early childhood focused. And I was like, not really into it. I'm like, this is interesting, but like, I don't actually care about this. (laughs) Um, And then I took my, um, my neurology class where I was um, talking about like neuro disorders of speech and it was talking about how stroke and traumatic brain injury and neurocognitive disorders and all of these things that like have to do with the brain and like relearning and reteaching the brain how to work and how to communicate and how to swallow and how to use their voice again and how to make decisions and high level cognitive thinking skills i was like whoa this is a combination of science and communication because I love connecting with people. I love talking. I love like just communication in general. It mm-hmm. was a really cool way to like combine those. And I also kind of got into research. I did a undergraduate thesis and 
it was tough. It was hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like got to figure out about the research world and was like really interested in that. And so that's what led me to OSU because they had it, you know, good professors for, um, Oh, whatchamacallit, for adults. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was like good professors for those <clears throat> those areas. And um, and then I just like also had you know, three different hospital systems in Columbus that I could be a part of mm-hmm. in my clinicals. And then I had um I had a couple placements and one in a Dodd Rehab Hospital over at OSU, and it just changed my world. Like it made me love what I do and love just the field in general. And, um, so it kind of led me to where I am now, which is in an outpatient setting, um, with a major hospital system in Columbus. And, um, I work with, uh, patients who've had stroke, brain injury. Um, but recently about 70% of my caseload has been with patients with, uh, voice and voice disorders, um, as well as chronic cough and vocal cord dysfunction has been a really big part of my caseload, mm. um, which is, uh, you know, not something that a lot of people get to do. Um, and so, yeah, I've really just enjoyed that. And really what like dug me in even more, um, was that my uncle, uh, and he had a couple strokes without us really knowing, like while I was in college, he had a few, um, strokes and he was, you know, his thinking skills were off and he was coughing at every single meal and like choking and mm. all of these things. And like, it was just really uncomfortable for us. And nobody really told us what was going on. And like, we didn't know, we just had no idea. And then when I found out like what had actually happened to him, he had had strokes, he had dysphagia, he had, you know, he probably had aphasia, which is a difficulty with communication. And he had all of these things. And I'm like, if I would have been a speech therapist, a speech pathologist, like that like then I could have made some type of positive impact. And I could have connected with my uncle, like who was basically like my grandpa. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like he was with us all the time and I didn't, didn't have that opportunity. And I wanted to be that person like to make that connection for others. So like to help family members understand, like this is what your family member is going through. This is how you can help. And this is how you can still have a good relationship with that family member. If they're not being able to enjoy meals because they have dysphagia, like this is how you can still connect with them. If they can't communicate because they can't get their words out, this is how you communicate with them and giving other, other avenues to still have a a human connection with that person that you love. So that's kind of why I love what I do. Wow. (laughs) Okay. That was a whole lot, but that was great. (laughs) See, I like to talk. You know, I love it. Wow. The last thing you talked about really um, kind of struck a chord because you think about like when somebody has a stroke or something of that nature and kind of in the aftermath, not only are their family members just like emotionally dealing with a lot, like, but having like very practical information of like, this is how you have a connection with Mm -hmm. them while you're dealing with a just like you know, the trauma of a family member. Yeah. Like my family member is different now. Like how do I even like, I can't like, we can't go do the things that we used to do, but how can you still like make that person feel loved and how can they communicate that they love you? Mm -hmm. And so that's some of the first things that I've worked with some patients is just, um, helping them be able to say, I love you has been like, uh, such a big, big thing, and like yeah. Molly's crying. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm starting to cry. I'm not crying yet, guys. <laughs> I mean, Molly's crying. Um, but yeah, like that's. I mean, some patients, like their their family members, come in and they're like, I, "We just want them to be able to say I love you' or be able to say our names." Like I have one. I currently have one patient where um, he like mixes. He has what's called apraxia, which is a motor planning disorder with his speech. So he has it in his head, but the how it's firing in his brain it's not hitting his mouth and his articulators so like he's saying the word like in his brain he's saying the right name but it's coming out as something completely different or he might try to say like you know he might try to say his daughter's name michelle and it comes out like miku like something completely different like close because it's got the first letter but something completely different he might not even catch it because he's also has aphasia yeah which is difficulty with speaking listening writing reading just communication and language in general so he's got like aphasia and apraxia and like all he wants to do is be able to say like michelle i love you and so that's something that like we've worked a lot on where it's like one session we just work on michelle 
Michelle over and over and over again until we get at least like, you know, five repetitions consistently. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. What does that look like on your end? What are you like as a professional, like thinking about during those repetitions? Like, are you looking for things in his voice that are like cues that he's approving or? Yeah, I think with when we're looking at, especially like with apraxia, we're looking for the actual, the, the right sounds coming out. Okay. And like, we look for what's called like groping behavior, which is okay. <laughs> a weird, uh, you know, you know in sounds... our last two podcasts, we talked about <laughs> spreading your legs. So like like groping like behavior or like, um, but like groping positions is typically like how I would, when I'm documenting, like what I would say, um, is like, if you're like, his mouth is like reach, you can see him reaching for a specific sound you can see him like looking for the m mm. but he's like like getting almost there and then starts to like put his tongue in a different spot or like mm. or like smile and like spread his his mouth open so then it doesn't the lips don't come together to make the m sound and like i'm looking for like how the how the sounds are being are supposed to be made and then if like those are happening in the right sequence okay. and then if he's like getting into a rhythm, because a lot of times with specifically with apraxia, um, it's we're trying to reteach the motor plan. So if he gets the motor plan right the first time, it's like, yes, keep going. Yes, keep okay. going. It's like if he's like stuck in a, in a negative pattern where he's just saying like, you know, Mika, Mika, Mika. And then I'm like, all right, let's stop. Let's breathe listen to me watch my lips yeah and let's go through it again and like slow it down and then get into a more natural rhythm so that's like you know talking through an actual like treatment session that's the, what i would be thinking through does the patient always know that they're saying the wrong word no okay no. what is that like that it what i'll do especially like i'm thinking of i'm thinking of him right now yeah. um like i'll write it because he's really good at reading and so that's like one area that is his strength so okay. like i'll write it down i'm like this is what i'm hearing i'm hearing like i'm hearing mika and he's like he's like what and i'm like yeah that's what i'm hearing that's what you're saying and i show it to him and then i say it again and i show it and to he him. can understand you talking sometimes sometimes okay. yeah and so um, but you could write that yeah because that's what connects with him mm -hmm. yeah so i try and find like the most the most consistent form of communication with that patient that's like their strongest point and i use that to help navigate like how we get how we get to the next spot okay and and then a lot of my patients are older so that they also have difficulties with hearing oh okay <laughs> and so um he's you know like that i'm thinking that same specific patient like he has high frequency hearing loss so he can't hear s's or t's mm. or Sometimes he can't hear like a P because those are, or like THs, yeah. Fs, Vs, those are all high frequency sounds. And so, you know, he has a really hard time saying left okay. because the, the F and the T together, yeah. those are high frequency sounds. And he, he wants to keep saying 11. <laughs> 11. <laughs> like 11 is what comes out instead of left. And he's got part of it. He's got the le yeah. of left, but he like, because he can't hear himself make it, it's really hard for him to self-correct. Wow. So. So every, I mean, so every patient's probably different. Oh yeah. Like wow. it's every day. And that's, that's another reason why I love what I do is because like, I can't stop thinking. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't have a choice. You have to, you have to always be thinking about, okay, how is, how is this patient different from the last? Mm -hmm. Like every, it's every stroke is different. Mm -hmm. And so every stroke is different. Every traumatic brain injury is different. Every, like there's, you know, we have general like, okay, this person has apraxia or this person has like, yeah. you know, a specific type of aphasia, but because there are so many other, you know, confounding factors, everything is going to be different. And like yeah. they, everybody comes from having like different backgrounds of knowledge. And so those patients mm. might like something that made sense to, you know, you know, Joe a couple days ago might not make sense for Bill tomorrow yeah. because they have, they're coming from a totally different background. And so whatever references I might make might not make sense to them. And yeah. then it might confuse them more. And then we take five steps back. Yeah. And so I've, I've run into that before where I like just make a wrong, a misstep and bring something up and I confuse that patient and we're derailed for the next 15 minutes while I yeah. get them back on track. Cause so, they already have like issues with the communication. Yeah. The with place, understanding so. what I'm saying and then I'm trying to make it a little bit easier and yeah. I make it even worse. So hmm. that's kind of the, that's why at least at my college or at 
my grad school, we were in the arts and sciences mm-hmm. and not just like in the, the call it like the medical school um, wow. because they consider what we do both an art and a science. Well, that's like I, I keep going. I keep thinking about like special education and mm-hmm. those teachers that have to be like very creative and like mm-hmm. trying to break down those barriers because somebody's having like mental things that yeah. aren't familiar to us because we know how to communicate still. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I know, like <clears throat> playing guitar for autistic kids and things like that. I don't. I'm just. It's just what's popping into my head right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, really admire people that take the time to learn each patient individually, because, mm-hmm. like you said, like every part is, every injury is different. Yeah. So. Yeah, and a lot of like, with with the scope of of speech pathology, like we can work with those with those kids who have autism with yeah. the um you know kids who have uh, difficulties with like sensory issues or you know just straight up articulation issues or pragmatic issues like i even work with some of my adults on pragmatic <laughs> issues like it's not okay to tell me i look like i had like i look rough today like i had a patient yeah. tell me that i look rough because I like wasn't wearing makeup that day and my hair was in a ponytail instead of a braid. And yeah. he was like, you look rough. And I'm like, all right, Bill, it's time to talk about <laughs> um, what's appropriate to say to a young woman. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, he had a he had a brain injury. <clears throat> so those are the things that I have to reteach, reteach brain mm-hmm. injury patients because they that awareness is completely yeah. different. Like think about, you know, like you're hitting your head hard against like a concrete floor and then you know your frontal lobe has been damaged and so you don't know what's right to say and what's wrong to say anymore and then like your family doesn't know how to handle the fact that you're being a total (laughs) a-hole and when it's really you just have brain damage like so you're not just dealing with people's talking or speech mm -hmm. specifically but communication as well communication just like overall and i also work with a lot of patients who have difficulty with eating a meal like swallowing or um being able to you know drink liquids i've had a lot of patients that come in they're like every single time i drink water like i cough or i like feel like i'm choking and then we have to be kind of like investigators and figure out okay well what's your prior history have you had a stroke have you do you have acid reflux have you ever had a hernia yeah like going through all these things and then we also do like modified barium swallow studies and um we also do what's called fees, which is basically putting a scope, like a little camera scope down yeah. the nose and looking up into the top of the throat and then like seeing how your swallow is like from the inside as yeah. well as seeing it under under an x-ray to see like what that because the same anatomy and is used in voicing as in swallowing. It's just used in a different way. Like, you know, our bodies are designed so fantastically that we can do multiple things just within our throat. Like it's a really, you know, the anatomy of, of our, of like our body is just fantastic. And, um, that's another really cool thing that I get to work with is I get to teach people about their anatomy and say like, okay, well this is what your muscles do in your throat and this is how it changes the way you swallow or this is how the way it changes your voice. Um, and so that's a really like, I geek out about that. And mm-hmm. that's like the first session with a lot of like my voice patients and my swallow patients. I'm like, all right, this is like, I'll be talking about this musculature. I'll be talking about this and I'm going to show you what it is so that you can't say you never told me that, or I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah. because like here, I want to give you an understanding of your body so you can take ownership of that. And like that this therapy isn't just me telling you what to do. This is you improving yourself. So trying to give them that ownership as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's their body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like what you were saying too about like patients being very individual. Um, I was thinking a lot about my younger brothers. They um, growing up had, well, and Zach too, because he had a very similar experience. But as you know, like kids when they're little, sometimes just get like a million ear infections, mm-hmm. you know. And my brothers got a ton of them. Zach had a ton of them all three of them were basically like some level of deaf, like in their early childhood and Zach got tubes and then Mm -hmm. had no problems moving forward speech wise. Like Mm -hmm. just basically just was able to talk normally and moved on. Whereas my brothers had terrible speech impediments, like Mm -hmm. very, very severe. Like couldn't really say their R's. Ours are are a a toughie. (laughs) uh, They're a toughie, but um, they had a lot of things like that. And I remember like growing up, 
and my youngest brother on top of that had dyslexia. So you were talking mm. about too, about like encountering other challenges. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, a hyperactive child who has dyslexia and can't really like read very well. And also you're trying to teach him how to speak, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. Um, so I just think it's interesting too. Cause even as his older sister, like someone living with him, I couldn't understand him like half the time. Like yeah. he would talk about the character, um, bullseye from toy story but it come out like bye <laughs> like some oh, wow, some yeah. sound i like couldn't understand mm-hmm. so i think that's that's really interesting that um you're teaching them like not only like here are the skills and the tools you need to move forward and yeah like take ownership mm-hmm. of yourself and also like here's how to like interact with people like yeah. you know what i mean here's mm-hmm. how to communicate with people mm-hmm. um and here's like and on top of that you have to navigate their individual challenges they're having Mm -hmm. and like as you were talking to I just kept thinking like wow that's a lot of weight on your shoulders you know what I mean like it's a lot there's we there's something in like the care field where it's um they talk about like just having empathy fatigue Mm -hmm. and just being so tired of caring so much yes (laughs) um it can be and it happens a lot more in kind of like the acute care and maybe inpatient rehab um as well as like schools i mean you've just got so much going on anytime that you're like really really in it all the time Mm -hmm. um you're gonna you know come across that and i you know i go through seasons of just being like especially like maybe it's with certain families or certain patients where it's like i've been seeing this patient for you know like three months and you're like bro we've gone through like everything (laughs) that we can like I'm running dry in terms of like content and material to provide you Mm -hmm. as well as like I've you know we've gone through just a lot emotionally together and you just get fatigued and tired and then you just I I really benefit from like stepping back and like talking to other therapists who have been working with that patient and sometimes like they tell other therapists things that they don't tell me like you know oh actually you know their their grandfather just died or they're you know they're having food insecurity or they are you know they don't have transportation here and they have to take the bus and switch like to three different stops just to get to their therapy session like when they've got all these other things going on how are you going to expect to be able to you know perform in therapy like Mm -hmm. and so like just realizing like whoa okay jenny you have it so good yeah and you get paid to be here and they're begging to get here you know it's like Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where that that care you know that empathy fatigue or emotional fatigue Mm -hmm can happen but it's it's nice because we have enough enough people on our team that can just be like reality checks and bolster each other up like hey you know this is hard sometimes but like look at the gains that this patient has made and then like being able to like reflect on that so it's it's not always easy to like continue to care Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um but then that's why i'm glad that i i don't always take my work home with me i like i I think about my patients, like there are mornings that I'll wake up and be like, okay, I see, you know, I see John today. So I should be, you know, maybe I can prepare this ahead of time or bring in this article and maybe we can practice reading this out loud. Like I'll be thinking about those type of things, but I, you know, it's not like a a teacher or somebody who like works from home. Like I don't have to have to be in that care mode, that emotional mode all the time, which is, which is nice. Yeah, that is nice. Mm -hmm. I, I worked in a hospital for a couple of years and I definitely saw that where people were just like mm-hmm. it's intense. And then the guards that people put up too emotionally. Yeah. And I see patients do the same thing. You probably do too, mm-hmm. where they just like guard themselves from being vulnerable enough to like oh. get through something. Yes, for sure. Like I've got a patient now who's just, he just doesn't, feel like he needs to be in therapy Mm -hmm. and but even today like he's starting to recognize it and say like yeah i i get that you can't always understand me or that my you know my my significant other can't always understand me but man i'm just tired is what he said Mm. today he's like i'm just tired i'm tired of having to work so hard 
And I'm like, I, I'm like, I understand you have been working really hard, yeah. but you had a stroke. And if you want things to get better, that's just, you just got to keep, yeah. keep yeah. going on. Like we'll try and switch things up, but there's only so much, so many ways I can make you say the T sound. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. So, so yeah, it's one of those things where like also making them take that ownership can be challenging too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, do you guys watch the Try Guys? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, Try that, Guys. That episode where they like put on the old person suit mm-hmm. with the weight, I was, it just floored me. <laughs> I could not, it just, I was like, wow, I really don't want to get old now. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> just seeing them like go through that and be like, we should probably be nicer to older people. Yeah. It's yeah. not easy getting old. Like, I, like working I love working with old people. I mm-hmm. love it. Like I don't like I I say old people with the the kindest of intentions. I I work with the older population. Yeah. Uh the more mature population and they it's just awesome. Like yeah. I love it because they have such a different perspective and it's fun because I have some patients that I know that they just sit at home and they don't really talk to anybody. And like I've had voice patients who come in because they don't like the way their voice sounds, but it's because they haven't been talking for like they retired and their vocal cords have gotten weaker because they haven't been talking to people and they're just at home. And when I tell them, I'm like, you've, your vocal cords have atrophied and gotten weaker because like you're not using your voice. And so, and so a lot of times like their exercise with me is just talking to me. And so like we do, you know, there are actual, you know, exercises and protocols that I use, but Mm -hmm. sometimes I know that that's just what that patient needs right then is to kind of talk and go over something. Like I had one voice patient that came in and, and she had just had somebody break into her house and she was feeling scared and vulnerable and was like, I'm sorry. I know we should be working on, you know, my voice right now, but I'm like, Let's Dude. let's find a way to get you <laughs> get you feeling safe. Like, yeah, let's right? like my first way is to make you feel safe and and loved <clears throat> in in this, you know, that's one of the missions of the, you know, the hospital system I work for is to to caring for those who are underserved and yeah. I'm like let's serve you right now. And so like I helped her like find like you know like uh surveillance cameras that she can put around her house that are like cheap and within her like price range and like gave her, you know, information about how to like get connected with, you know, people in her community and things like that, just so that she could, you know, have some connection. Like sometimes like my job isn't actually doing like what my job like (laughs) entails. Like it's not just like speechy stuff. Well, it seems like it has to be pretty variable because you're working with human beings that all have different things and there's a, there's an age difference. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, not even just working with human beings, but like providing care for yeah. human beings. Yeah, providing like, care is. And like it. you mm-hmm. said, like the like the foundational like human need is safety. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. if you're if you're not there, like you're mm-hmm. not gonna get anywhere. Yeah. Like what's therapy gonna do mm-hmm. if if like you f- are scared about going home? Yeah. And so and that's one one of the questions we ask our patients every time they come in is like, are you feeling safe in your home today? And that's like on our list of questions that we ask so that we can, if, you know, I've had patients that say, no, my, my daughter is abusing me Wow. and I've, you know, had to give, you know, resources and like we've connected with, you know, we've luckily in my hospital system, we've got a lot of good connections, um, because it is a ministry focused hospital that we've got connections for care and for those types of things. Like we have an we're starting like a new urban health program where it's, you know, working with those underserved populations and getting them connected with the, you know, to, to be safe, to have that, those, you know, those needs covered. And then, and then let's get you, let's get you healed. Let's get you better. So. Um, uh, sorry, I have to cough really bad. <laughs> yes, do it. <coughs> okay. <clears throat> I probably should have picked water over bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like so like oh. If I I could tell you about why that cough is not so good for your throat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to hear it, to be honest. <laughs> no, I want to hear it. Turn it back on. I mean it's on. <laughs> All right. So when when we cough or when we clear our throat it's literally slamming all of the structures in your larynx, which is basically your throat, it's slamming everything together really, really forcefully. It's like if you imagine clapping your hands over and over again, like the hardest that you've ever clapped and how <laughs> how you're like sensitive your hands would be 
and like you touch anything, how uncomfortable that would be. That's kind of what yeah. we're doing to our throats when we clear our throat and when we cough. And I, I work with a lot of chronic cough patients yeah. and I, a lot of patients that have voice issues and, and they can be, you know, exacerbated by cough and throat clearing. And so like, I'm a big proponent of take a sip of water, swallow your spit, yeah. <laughs> like oh, anything, okay. because what that does when we swallow our vocal cords, like they're, they're natural what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to protect our airway. That's why they're there is to block things from going down into our lungs. So when we swallow, they close. So we protect our and airway. And it goes down the other. And yeah. And then it, it diverts, you know, we have what's called the epiglottis, which is like a little piece of cartilage that's, um, it's kind of right below the base of our tongue and right above our airway. And so it kind of flips over. It's got this whole pulley system that our our throat okay. is. And so like everything has to like move in the right way and close in the right way in order for the swallow to work and to go down the right pipe, so to speak, like to go down into yes. our esophagus and into our stomach. Um, but when we, but when we swallow the, vo those vocal cords come together, they press together, all those areas kind of close off and that sometimes can help get rid of that sensation of the need to clear your throat or cough. Um, sometimes like the cough is like a necessary thing. It's like yeah. a, you know, a, there are cough reflexes, but yeah. a throat clear fun fact is a completely volitional act. You have complete control over clearing your throat. Yeah. So swallow instead. All right. That's great. Disclaimer. That's <laughs> great. Love it. I'll never forget that. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about like the science behind what you're doing some more. Yeah. Just with acoustics and mm -hmm. with, um, we've talked about swallowing. I mean, you just talked about swallowing. Is that, <laughs> yeah. It seems like a pretty hard grasp on that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so what about the voice? Like you were telling mm -hmm. me before we started that each voice is like very specifically different. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so just break that down. Yeah. So... We have, um, I like to kind of, I'll give you kind of my spiel that I give my patients. Okay. Uh, we have in our body, we have, there are three subsystems of our voice. Uh, we have our, our air pressure system, which is like our respiration. So our diaphragm, our abdominal muscles, our lungs, um, our, you know, our rib cage, all of that helps create the air pressure that the air is then brought up after, you know, we breathe in, we expand that diaphragm. And then as we start to talk or exhale, that air is being, our stomach starts to collapse, our diaphragm starts to collapse, and it pushes our air up to our vocal cords, um, which is now we're in the vibratory system okay. of a subsystem of our voice. And That's a when, fun word. Yes. <laughs> when our, what turns our voice on is really our air. Our vocal cords, they, they start to kind of approximate, they come together, um, but they don't fully touch until our air starts moving through them. And unless you do kind of like a, uh, like the, that glottal oh, yeah. kind of hit, um, which a lot of people talk. What was that? Glottal? Glottal. Yeah. So there are things called like a glottal, um, a glottal attack is somebody that they go like, ah, that's a glottal attack because they're starting with their vocal cords closed and then turning their voice on. Okay. And so, um, most of the time we don't have a glottal attack. Um, if you're, you know, do it right. Um, but <laughs> normie. Normie. Um, I hear your vocal cords start to approximate and then the air, it, it, it's called the Bernoulli effect. If you're into like science. Okay. Um, but basically what's happening is there's a change in pressure above and below the vocal cords. And so it creates this like suction cup type of effect. And then they, it starts, the vocal cords start moving like two flags moving against each other. Okay. Because our vocal cords are very, um, they should be very malleable and like yeah. they're wiggly basically. They have um, layers of tissue and membrane on top of a ligament a muscle and so those those layers start to vibrate against each other and it goes really really quick like we we can't see it with the naked eye we have to have a strobe light on them when we do like a stroboscopy okay. um to actually see the vocal cords moving um in like in the right like periodicity like the way that they're supposed to move and you can't see me right now but I'm like clapping my hands together in like a waving motion because <laughs> um, that's what I do to show my patients but um but so that's kind of turning on that you know the vocal cords are moving and they're interrupting that air and that's what turns into a sound wave and so that sound wave depending on how long or short your vocal cords are or how you're shaping your vocal tract changes the pitch so when we're in a low note uh, your vocal cords are shorter than when you're in a high note. Uh, 
And so your vocal cords are, you know, stretching and shortening so, so quickly when we're talking, like looking inside of a, of a larynx as we're talking, it's crazy. Like somebody's like, I, I've posted pictures on my Instagram or yeah. like on my story and people thought it was something completely different oh, than yeah. what it was oh, no. because <laughs> um, they were like, what is that? I'm like, it's the larynx. It's not nasty. I promise. Um, so so that's happening. The vocal cords are vibrating. And then we get into our resonating system, which is our last subsystem of voice. And um, that's where it really gets specific to each person. So we have different areas. We've got the, the pharynx, which is kind of the top of the throat. And then we've got the nasal cavity. And then we've got the oral cavity. So the mouth and then up in the, up in the nasal, um, nasal space, sinuses, sinuses and stuff. And stuff. Um, and our sound vibrates through that. So those sound waves that were created by our vocal cords kind of moving together and waving against each other is then trans transferred into our resonators. And that's what creates the voice that makes you, you sound like you. Yeah. And so if somebody has a stuffy nose, they're going to sound like this because mm -hmm. none of the sound is like coming through right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like we know, like instinctually we know like, oh, that person's got a stuffy nose because mm -hmm. we know when somebody's resonance is off. Yeah. And so like we can hear that like him. <laughs> talking like this <laughs> yeah. you know that they're talking through their nose yeah or somebody it's like fran drescher talking like this you know that she's like using her nose a lot yeah like we just know that because we as humans like we know what res a good resonance and a balanced resonance yeah. sounds like mm -hmm. and that's what we crave to listen to that's why like fran drescher sounds annoying is because right. <laughs> like, nobody wants to no like that. because that's you know it doesn't sound right yeah. to our ears yeah. so um so yeah that's a lot of times when i've got patients that have damage to one of those systems like if i've got patients with copd like a chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder and they can't breathe their voice isn't gonna they're gonna have a hard time they're gonna have a strained voice a lot of times because yeah. they don't have a good air pressure to get those vocal cords moving and they're overcompensating by creating tension in their vocal tract and so a lot of times with like professional singers mm -hmm. if they are overworking their voice or they're under a lot of stress or they're, you know, they're pushing a little bit harder and they end up having, you know, vocal tension or they have what we call supraglottic compression. They've got compression above their vocal cords that make them sound strained. Um, I know Sean Mendez actually sees a voice therapist like pretty frequently hmm. um, in Toronto. Um, and he had, you know, he sees that therapist when he's having a harder time with his voice because, uh, you know, he recognizing that that's his, that's his tool, that's his instrument and you've got to yeah. take care of it. And, um, I see a lot of, I like have a couple ministers I've got, I've had professional singers, uh, I've had, um, I've had some composers like choral composers, in my practice mm. and because like, you know, they're working their voice hard and they, their body, you know, our bodies change as we get older. And so yeah, we, absolutely. we can't use our instrument the same way we used to. And yeah. so it's kind of retraining, tra retraining ourselves to like use our instrument the way that our body can handle right now. Yeah. So I just watched a video about, um, queen, uh, wow. Fre Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Freddie Mercury's <laughs> vocal cords. It was really? amazing. It's super fun. I'm going to send it to you. Yes, please. Uh, but it's funny. You're like going through all this and they have like the video of his throat and everything. And it's not his throat. It's somebody that is as close as they can get basically. Mm -hmm. But the way that he was singing and the way that he was using different things was like so weird. Because he had that like mm -hmm. rasp sometimes when he was mm -hmm. singing really high. But but it was still clear. Yeah. It was like this weird I mean, he has the most, like one of the most amazing voices. I like, think he's the, one of the best. Ever. Yes. And... They also like I've I've also heard and like I, I can imagine it to be true, like his the way his mouth was shaped, like his teeth, mm. like how yeah. he had, you know, he had more resonance. He had more space yeah, <laughs> in his that's... mouth to resonate. And a lot of times when I'm working on resonation with like a resonant voice therapy with a patient, like I like I teach them to use a lot of their nasal cavity because a lot of times people don't use as much of their nasal resonance as they could to get the sound that they want and yeah. like putting their sound like i tell them like put it in the roof of your mouth because and trying to teach people how to place their sound is really really challenging yeah, because even... it's such a it's such a like abstract concept like i can't yeah. just like show you i can't it's like, like explaining put... the fifth dimension yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a lot of times like and there are different you know strategies and tools that i can i help that can help teach a patient how to do this and like mm -hmm. 
getting them in tune. Like I do mindfulness a lot with patients too, because like helping them recognize what they're feeling in their body and being able to say like, okay, do you feel vibration? Do you feel like a buzzing? Do you feel tension in certain parts of your body? And like, okay, let's reduce that tension and let's focus on that buzzing sound at the roof of your mouth. Okay, let's do this. Let's breathe from the diaphragm. So it's like, it's really like we're tweaking all of these different buttons just to try and get the voice to be clear and and then trying to train like that's the, you know, that's the behavior. Like let's, you know, let's reward that, reward that like a behavior. It's it's also like, you know, applied behavior analysis. Like it's like all of these things wrapped into one. Yeah. Well, acoustics and resonance is definitely like, that's my wheelhouse, Mm -hmm. like doing sound and audio engineering. And uh, I was just telling Molly, we were listening to like an old Elvis song or something. It was a a Christmas song. Mm -hmm. And I was telling her like, you know, they had to record this reverb like analog, right? And she's like, what does that, what does that look like? And basically they just have like a really long haul and they would put the guy at one end and the microphone at the other, or they'd put a recording of the voice and it would go to the microphone at the other end. Mm -hmm. And that would be however long like where they put the microphone and how long the hallway was and the shape of the hallway was how they got that and then how they got that sound the plate mm-hmm. plate reverb if you ever heard of that is like literally just a plate hanging from the ceiling and they can move it so it changes mm. where that's happening but it's interesting because pairing that with what you're talking about mm-hmm. is like you can't just move a microphone you can't just move somebody's where they're singing in a room <laughs> you literally have to like create that space within their own head Mm -hmm. and explain a concept to them that they've never had to consider before. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's hard. I can't, I seriously, (laughs) that's so fascinating. It's hard, but like, because like I have a background of like being, I was a choir kid for like ever. Yeah. I was in musicals and like, I come from a background of already knowing what like resonant voice feels like. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't even know it, but my, my choir director in high school, shout out Mrs. Hughes, um, Amanda Hughes. Uh, she's the best. (laughs) Um, (laughs) she, you know, she was giving me vocal function exercises as like, you know, a 14 year old. And that's something I teach my patients now. Like I, I remember so like important. going through it and being like that sneaky Hughes. She was giving me, <laughs> <That> <laughs> she Hughes. was, she was giving me a voice therapy exercise. And now this is what I like do for a living. Like it's, it's really cool to get to pull back that passion from when I was younger of like, I love to sing like, you know, yeah, I love using my voice in any capacity. Yeah. Um, and now getting to help people find their voice and find it again um, is, is such a blessing. Like having a patient say like, you changed my life is amazing. Like I've, I've, there's your year. Yeah. Like I've, I I mean, just this year I've had like three patients say like, you've changed my life. You've made my life better. And like, heck, like that is, that's why I do what I do is because I've like made an impact on someone and, you know, I can like die happy because I've, you know, and just being able to, you know, as a Christian, be able to say like, you know, I'm, I'm not only using like the gifts that God gave me like in, you know, outside of my work, but I get to I get to express that in my work as well and yeah. get to get to do that. Like Help it's people. such a it's such a gift. Yeah. And I like there's no reason that I shouldn't keep doing it. It's one of those things we definitely take for granted. Yeah. We don't think about getting old or anything like mm-hmm. that because we're not old. We don't think about like losing mm-hmm. our voice or anything. But... Or losing your hearing. Wear yeah. earplugs, everyone. Wear earplugs. Oh, yeah. Please, yep. dear God, please wear earplugs. When I'm and where Jenny. should we wear earplugs? Every um, show you go every to. Every show you go to. Um, in our case, church. Um, yeah. oh, if you are in a if you are in a church that plays loud music um that has a rock vibe um wear earplugs yep. it's it's awfully loud in there anything that is louder or honestly anything about 80 decibels for longer than uh, like 30, 30 minutes 30 minutes even less than that honestly it is less but yeah like after like maybe like three or four minutes of over 80 decibels, you have permanent hearing damage to certain frequencies in your ear. So that's why it's fantastic that families like yours (laughs) put headphones on their baby um, when you're in, in service and protecting, protecting his little ears, because that's, I mean, honestly, like 
how loud we listen to our music nowadays. I'm sounding like, you know, 90 year old, but no. honestly, like I want to be able to hear when I'm 90 mm-hmm. yeah. and I want my friends and my husband to be able to hear when he's 90. And so I, you know, I'm, I keep earplugs in my purse and I bring them to every concert and yeah. that's one, I will stand on that soapbox for a while, but oh. I'll get off of it now. But, but yeah, that's a big I'm part of what you. I do. And you can get ones that, that just knock the decibel down about 25 dB. Mm-hmm. You're and gasm. you still get fantastic mm-hmm. sound from the mm-hmm. show. Yeah. And that's what I wear. And yeah. I've had them for years and they're great. I wear them it's, to everything. I'll it, have to get some. It's, uh, it's yep. so important because that's like, that is such an important part of communication is being able to hear what somebody's saying. Like I've had so many patients that like be, their and honestly they, their voices have changed from getting they like got hearing aids they were oh, having voice yeah. issues and then they got hearing aids and their voice completely changed they're yeah. like something happened i was like well you can hear yourself i yeah, wonder right? why something no. happened we <laughs> had that happen with a friend of ours he got a mm-hmm. cochlear implant yeah and Two. his speech just like increased dramatically yeah like, he said all kind of months. he was like yeah. yeah everything changed for him it's whole life changed. like to be able to hear your and like you know not even just to like self you know, self-correct and be able to like hear what you're what you're saying, but like to be able to communicate with another person, it's so, you know, important. And like the deaf community is fantastic because they, you know, they are non-hearing, but they can still communicate, but there's still a barrier there. If they're, you know, if they're communicating with a, with a hearing, uh, you know, a person who is hearing versus a person who is, is deaf, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's a barrier there. So like, if you're not, already deaf <laughs> like, yeah. protect your ears protect your hearing because it's such a key aspect of communication and you have no idea how much it can impact you when you age um and it can really isolate um i have a lot of patients who have been very isolated because they can't hear and mm. um you know i i am you know a speech language pathologist but i also have you know great relationships with audiologists and um you know just sending them to the audiologist saying like hey this is actually an important thing it's yeah and you know hearing like we aids can't are expensive. get over this thing until yeah. they can hear yeah yeah i've had a, i have a couple i have like one patient right now where i'm saying like we can work on your speech all you want but if you can't hear yourself Use, yeah it's we're only going to get so far so yep. so yeah so what other advice do you have about maybe maintaining our voices or you already talked about uh Throat clearing. Yes. Stop throat, throat clearing. clearing. Don't throat clear unless it's like absolutely necessary or like you're sick. Um, yeah. I, in terms, like in general, in terms of like communication and protecting, protecting yourself or not protecting, it is kind of, anyway, but of just interacting with people. Yeah. That you never know what that person, the other person that you're, like your communication partner is what I always, that's how I phrase it with my my patients is, you know, whatever communication partner is with you, you know, you never know what, what they're going through, what their, you know, what their thinking skills are. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of times after a brain injury, you know, people might not be thinking correctly and they might yeah, not remember. Absolutely. And so you don't know, you know, what that person's memory is like, you don't know what their communication abilities are like. They might not be able to get form, formulate words. They yeah. might know what they want to say in their head, but can't say it. So, you know, setting a baseline of like, what's, how are we going to communicate here? You know, what, how, what's the best way for me to communicate with you is always a, a fantastic question. It's just like, you know, asking someone like, what do you prefer to be called? You mm-hmm. know, of having that, that question, it's just, how do you prefer to be communicated with? You know, can I, you know, have a piece of paper here to like, like we sketch things out, write things like, you know, every, everybody has their own way of communicating. And um, especially after, you know, damage. Um, and then with, in terms of like your voice, um, it's the best way to kind of protect your voice. Drink lots of water. (laughs) I was just about (laughs) to say probably drink so much water. (laughs) Um, you know, systematic hydration is so important. Um, and, uh, don't drink so much caffeine, cut it back. Like two cups Ooh. a day is all you really need um, because it can dry out your vocal cords. It can dry. It, can, it causes dehydration. It causes irritation. Um, don't drink as much alcohol as I sit here sipping my wine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, alcohol can, you know, cause uh, cause swelling in the vocal tract. And um, it, you know, we were talking about this earlier of whether or not like when singers, you know, take a, a shot before they go out on stage, oh, yeah. like, cause they think it helps their voice. It doesn't. It like, it's 
alcohol causes inflammation in the body and it's going to inflame your vocal cords and make it easier for you to damage them because it also dilates the blood vessels in your vocal tract. That makes sense. And if, you know, you can, busting a blood vessel on your vocal cord is bad news. Like it's, it can cause a lot of damage and it can mess up your voice. So scale back the, the drinks before you're going to go out sing karaoke. <laughs> Drink lots of water, stay hydrated um, and breathe. <laughs> breathe. Breathe before you talk. That's okay. one thing um, that a lot of people just don't know how to breathe. <laughs> they don't know how to breathe from their diaphragm. I cannot tell you how many patients that I've had to walk through how to breathe from their diaphragm before they talk. And that's, that's I mean, it's what drives your voice yeah. is your air. So those are important. So, yeah. yeah. So everything our moms always told us is true. It's true. <laughs> it's drink all, some water. Science drink says water. it's true. <laughs> drink water. Yeah. Don't drink as much caffeine. <laughs> Wear earplugs. <laughs> Cut yep. back on the alcohol and breathe. And breathe. <laughs> Always Love breathe. It. All yeah. great advice. Breathe from the diaphragm. And if you don't know how to breathe from your diaphragm, look it up on YouTube. Yeah. There's look some, up all this stuff there's on YouTube. There's some great tutorials yeah. <laughs> on how to breathe. Or do yoga. That's a good one too. Yoga. Mm-hmm. Yoga is good for everything. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, Jenny, how about you go ahead and give yourself a little plug? How about you give us your um, Instagram information? And, you know, that way if people are ever looking for a good speech, Speech, speechy stuff. Speechy stuff. What's I forgot what it's called. SLP, speech SLP. language pathologist. You got it right on. They can um, have your info. Well, um, my Instagram handle is at Jenny dot dot H. That's J E N N Y dot L Y N N dot H. Um, and I post about speech pathology. I post about cooking. I put post about acid reflux and my journey with that <laughs> and her wine advent <laughs> and calendar. my wine advent calendar um and uh, i i also would like to plug some other like really cool speech pathologists um yeah. uh, teresa Rich- teresa richards slp um and i believe she's um at teresa richards slp as well as um christy knickerbocker she's uh, one of the voice therapists that i um, I follow on Instagram and she has honestly helped me so much like getting to be better voice therapist. Um, she's helped me with my own acoustic analysis. Like she's been so awesome. She's out in, um, out in Texas and like she's, I feel like she's, you know, a buddy just because she's helped me out so much with my own practice. Um, and she's got some really cool resources as well. And she's, um, uh, I believe it's at Christy voice. Um, and yeah, so she's fantastic and uh, just supporting the whole speech pathology community because it's such a cool profession and uh, can impact so many lives so and if you're ever interested in finding out more about speech pathology and about a uh, career path in speech pathology hit me up oh yeah <laughs> nice hit her up. thanks okay. jenny thank you for having me this has yeah. been fun <laughs> good i'm glad you liked it all right well have a great day And that concludes the third episode of our podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We are on Instagram, so check us out at The Phonic Scribe.